Well, good morning. You're going to want a Bible this morning as we do what we do here at Grace. Worship God together and open his word to see how he might be, what he might be speaking to us and shaping us, forming us into to go live this life with him the rest of the week. And so you'll want to turn to Romans chapter 12, where we have been the last several weeks in our Rooted series. But as you're finding your way there in your Bible, and actually if you need a Bible, just slip up a hand and we got plenty of them. We got people walking around and they can just put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along with us. But also uh, today is the day, a couple weeks ago, we shared how Grace, uh, the Grace Monroe has a, a group of spiritual elders who have accountability and oversight over the health and the direction of our church. And, uh, and today we are, as a congregation, uh, affirming two of those elders that were nominated by the elder board, uh, Rodney McCart and Kirkland Dixon. This is Rodney and his wife, Christy, and Kirkland and Denise, and uh, two amazing couples that uh, we have found to be uh, in line with the, the biblical qualifications of what it means to be an elder. Uh, and now we present that to you. And so today you've had two weeks. If you had any concerns or questions to bring it to, to, uh, to me or to our elder board. And with, with none, we now present them back to you to affirm. So if you're a member of Grace, if you just slip up a hand, uh, if you consider Grace your church home, um, then uh, we will uh, put one of these ballots in your hand and just uh, affirm or not. If not, uh, let us know why. And uh, assuming that we affirm uh, um, these two men to our elder board next week, we will uh, commission them into, uh, into their role to serve. Um, and so we'll give just a minute to pass those out. And then on your way out, uh, what you could do with those is uh, you could just, we'll have a little basket that you can drop those off in as you walk out the door. So we've been on this journey in Romans chapter 12, uh, where Paul has uh, led this congregation there in Rome, wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus? Who are we in Christ? And what is Jesus doing? And Paul actually has an even bigger plan for this church in Rome. Romans as a, as a book, as a letter, is not just simply this brilliant systematic theology. What it actually is, is a missional letter a letter of engagement to this church. This is who you are because this is what Jesus did for you. This is the gospel that binds us together because Paul's vision for this little church in Rome in this chaotic, conflicted, divided culture that they found themselves is that they would be an outpost, a lighthouse, a sending out point to carry that good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But he knew for them to live into that mission, for them to be fully who God has made them to be, he first needed to unite them together around their identity in Christ. And so he lays out this beautiful, powerful, deep explanation of the gospel in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And then we get to 12, where all of a sudden this shift goes from know these things to become these things. Knowing what Jesus has done for you, now what do we do in response? Now how are we to live? 
And so Romans 12 begins with this amazing challenge of being transformed by the renewing of your, not, your mind, no longer conformed into the patterns, the pressures, the mold of this world so that you can know, experience the perfect, good, pleasing will of God. And from that point, that was, that was week one in our rooted study, is what it means to renew our minds daily in Christ. And then it's amazing, immediately, verse three, after telling and uh, exhorting the church to think rightly, to have the mind of Christ, he tells them to, to think rightly about the thing that we tend to think the most about, which is ourselves. See yourselves rightly. Under your, understand your story from God's perspective. Know who you are, not because that is the image you're trying to create or curate, but that is because who you are in Christ, who God made you to be when he knit you together in your mother's womb, when he foresaw every day of your life before one of them came to pass. This is who you are. It is the most true thing about you. Understand your story from his perspective. See how his fingerprints are all over it from beginning to end in the high points and in the low points. And what we'll see is that your story isn't primarily about you. Your story is primarily about him. And so as we come into this place of discovering our true identity in Christ, Paul says, and, and makes it clear that we then are, that we are now called to live together as members of a body. And so last week, we, we saw how these, God is weaving together these stories, bringing together these unique identities as the visible representation and image of Jesus Christ here on earth, his body. The powerful thing is that you, and you can take this pressure off yourself, you are not meant to represent Jesus to the world. And you can't. But we are meant to represent Jesus to the world. Let me say that again. You are not meant to represent Jesus to the world. We are meant to represent Jesus to the world. In other words, every one of you, including myself, have something that the rest of us need. We carry with us something that God has given by his Holy Spirit into the room for the sake of others. And in the same way, every one of you has something that you need from the other people in the room. Now, as red-blooded Americans, that is one truth that we do not like to receive. We do not like to be needy. I can do it on my own, self-made man. I can find my own way. I can figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, that's what YouTube is for. Amen? Who needs directions to Ikea? I can figure out all the pieces, and if there's 30 parts left over, you know what? They weren't important anyway. I can do it. I can exist on my own. I don't need you because to acknowledge that I have need feels weak. It feels vulnerable. It's scary. But the reality is, is that we can't live as humans fully alive unless we recognize that we all 
need. We all lack. None of us are sufficient within ourselves. We need one another. And God has done this brilliant thing as he roots us in our identity in Christ and gives and, and reveals our new identity, that true identity God gave us at birth, the name he uniquely calls us. He brings us in to this new family, this family of faith. One of the most beautiful, powerful depictions of that is what we celebrate as that the church has celebrated for 2,000 years and has been practiced by those who followed after God for even longer than that. But it's the mark of baptism. I hope in your rooted journey, you went through uh, after that, the exercise on sharing your story, we had a little part B chapter on uh, kind of a worksheet walking through baptism. Baptism as this picture of this spiritual, this physical depiction of a spiritual reality. As we go into the waters of baptism, is that picture of the old being washed away in Christ and coming up out of this water, a new creation. And there's so many beautiful pictures around baptism of even coming up out of that water and taking in that first big breath of air in the same way that as as the forgiveness of sin washes away this old life and we emerge into this resurrected new life and we take this big breath of this thing called the Holy Spirit filled with the very presence of God. And then we open our eyes, just like a baby being born or reborn. Open our eyes, and the first thing we see are all these smiling, cheering faces around us. And it's this new, true, spiritual family that we are reborn into. That we are no longer just simply friends and neighbors, but brothers and sisters. And that we relate to one another as family. And in family, your needs are more important than mine. I stick with you even when it gets hard. We're in this together even if the world around us collapses. We need each other. I have something to give and I have something I need to receive. That you are part of a body in Christ. And you have something to bring to the table that matters. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? When you walk in this room... When you gather together in your living room, when you grill out on your back porch, when you walk the streets of your neighborhood, when you show up at your cubicle or in your classroom, you carry something with you that God has put in you. As Ephesians said, that you are his poema, his workmanship, his poem, created in Christ with good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That there's a unique calling on your life. There's something that you carry that matters. And so I encourage you, if you even look at your rooted guide, if you didn't get a rooted guide, we, uh, I think we ran out of the printed ones, but they're online at that, I don't know if the website's there, but gracefromonroe.com slash rooted has all of the resources from our rooted journey on it. And, and on that, that website, there's both a place that you can get the, the PDF or download the Rooted Guide. Um, you'll see on page 46 is uh, that, that worksheet to walk through, that exercise of going through about understanding baptism. And 
Um, and so that invitation to be baptized, if that's something that you haven't engaged in as an act of obedience to Christ, as that physical picture of what God has done in your life. And so we're going to be celebrating baptisms together at the end of our rooted journey. I think that first Sunday in March that we'll be, uh, we'll be celebrating that. And so there's also on that rooted page, you'll see a place that you can sign up if you're interested in finding out more about getting baptized. So let me read for us what this family of faith that we've been brought into looks like. How we were created to live, starting in verse 9 in chapter 12 in Romans. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The message, Eugene Peterson's translation in the message uh, reads, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. This list of these ways of relating to one another aren't intended to be burdensome commands. You must do this. You must do this. Now, make sure you're praying all the time. Make sure you're being kind to each other. No, it's a description of the kind of vibrant, engaging, open, generous, joyful life that we are invited to experience as this family of faith, this body of Christ, living confidently in who God has made us to be, telling our story rightly, and bringing the gifts that he's given to the table to receive what we need from those around us. And as we do this, Paul's saying, this is the kind of community that it will be created. This is the kind of space that we will live in. A life that is full of joy, dependent on God, boiling over with passionate zeal, caring for one another, who wouldn't want these descriptions to name their family, right? Your biological family or your grace group or your community. So just a few things about the language that Paul uses. That first phrase, let love be genuine, actually, it's only two words there. And it's the word love, agape, that godly, self-sacrificial, humble self-giving love that seeks the good of another. Love, agape, without hypocrisy. It's one word, ahypocritical. In other words, don't wear a mask. 
Don't show up on Sunday and pretend to be one thing and then walk away and actually be something else. Love genuine, sincere, as a reflection of who you really are. Take off the masks. That word, that, the language there in that second phrase, to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good, it's actually four words. All of them are the strongest use of those particular words in the Greek. To abhor is to, to hate, to, ha- to like let it revulse, like to have revulsion, to cause you horror, evil, wickedness, but cling to. And the word there actually is, is, is so, such a powerful word, it actually carries the same idea of like oneness, of unity, to be glued together to what is good. And just even pause and reflect. As we look through this, so let God search your heart. God, where do I need your work in me? Where do I need to be honest with my community to, to recognize, okay, there's some gaps here. Where are the places that I'm wearing a mask? Where are the places that, God, I'm actually uh, doing the opposite? I, I'm delighting in evil and wickedness, and uh, I am hiding from, running from what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. It's actually a different use of the word love there. It's the word phileo, which is a word, it's actually affection is probably a better word than love. Agape love is that sacrificial love. Phileo is that familial love. Delight in each other, Paul is saying. Not just simply agape, this serving love, this sacrificial, humble love where I seek your best. Yes, absolutely. But also just enjoy each other. Have affection for one another. That word there, brotherly affection, is actually literally the word Philadelphia. Now, if you've ever been to a Braves-Phillies game, you can see a few people not living into their true identity, but that is what that word means. Brotherly love, deep, affectionate friendship. Do not be slothful or slow in zeal, but fervent in the spirit. That word fervent, if you want to circle in your Bible, is literally the word boiling. Boiling over in the spirit of God. And serve the Lord. Rejoice, have joy and hope. And endure the pressures of this word, that word tribulation. The word is the same word as like uh, grapes being pressed into wine, the stresses and the pressures of this world. This is why we need each other. You're not meant to simply endure alone. And be constant in prayer, recognizing even as we talked the last few weeks that prayer isn't just this one way calling out to God, but it's this two way conversation with a living God who continues to speak. God, what do you want me to know? Here's what's going on in my life. Here's where I'm struggling. God, here's some of the lies I'm believing about myself, about you. God, what is true? Will you speak to me? God, this is who I know you've called me to be. What does that look like today? How do I live into that today as I go to work, as I talk to my kids, as I relate to my spouse or my friends? 
I think sometimes we can think of prayer as this, uh, you know, this list of, okay, first I say my thanks, and then I give him my requests, and then obviously there's got to be confession in there somewhere where I tell him all the ways that I messed up, like a bullet point, boom, boom, boom. Like, where do I fit that into my day? I'm gonna, if I, just the list of the ways I've messed up is going to take me an hour. But it carries with it this is natural way of life in community together. Now, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm walking into. Here's what just uh, showed up on my doorsteps that I don't know what to do with. God, what do you want me to know? Where do we go? How do I respond? God, will you speak by your spirit? Will your scriptures come alive? And then it ends in this focus on how we live together as a family of faith. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That we're called to be generous people, open-hearted, open-handed. Acts 4 gives this beautiful picture that there was of the early church. There was none among them in need because each sold what they had in order to care for the needs of the other. Now, how can you live in that reality? What does that even look like? A scarcity mentality that would say is like, there's only, there's not enough. And so I've got to, I've got to like cling to what is mine and make sure I protect it. I don't have enough to even give away to somebody else. But if we're all in this thing together and we have an actual good father who really is the king of the universe, there is no scarcity. There is no lack. And we live into the reality of no lack when we live open-hearted to recognize that I have something that you need because you have something that I need, so it's not all up to me anymore. The reality of a generous life is actually can only be actualized in community with one another. Now, there are some, as Paul lays out earlier, and when he get, talks about the specific spiritual gifts that are given to the body, there are some of you that have been actually given the gift of generosity. And I bet for, if that is you, that God has called you, named you, given you this, this gift to carry when he knit you together in your mother's womb, this spiritual identity of being a generous one, I bet you're really good at making money. And that's a beautiful thing but it's not for you. See, the mistake we can get, make is we think that the gifts are for us to further our lives, to be a blessing uh, for, for me. God's like, no, no, I'm giving this to you because you're meant to give it away for others. And that's just an easy one to see. The interesting thing about the gift of generosity that some people have been given that spiritual gift, but we're all called to be generous. And practice hospitality. It's actually an interesting word there for hospitality. I think sometimes we can think of hospitality as like Thanksgiving dinner, having our friends and family over, and that's an aspect of hospitality, but it's not actually what that word means. Have you ever heard of the word xenophobia? The fear of, does anyone know? Let's start with arachnophobia. Does anyone know that one? Fear of spot, yeah, you know that one real fast. Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. And in the same way that uh, the, the first word that we talk about brotherly love is Philadelphia, which means love for, affection for family, the word there for hospitality is actually philoxenia. It is love for strangers. It is the way that we actually open our hearts and our homes to those that we don't know. To the ways that we give of ourselves and we create space that people can feel seen and know and loved 
who are on the outside, who feel like they don't belong, who are other, different from us. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt like an outsider or alone? Like you didn't belong or you didn't know where to go or maybe just travel to a new city? I remember the first time I went overseas and, uh, and, and flew, actually my uh, layover was in, was in Amsterdam on the way to visit an aunt and uncle in, in South Africa. And I had just enough time to, um, to leave the airport, run around the city for a couple hours and then get back on my plane. The problem was I had never been overseas before and I didn't know how to get around at all. And all the signs were in different languages. And I didn't know how trains worked. And all of a sudden, what seemed like a really brilliant idea to go explore a new city, because I'm out of the country for the first time, turned into a really terrifying moment. When all of a sudden I realized, I have a plane to catch. I don't know how to get back to the airport. I don't even know how to read the signs to tell me how to get back to the airport. And even if I could read the signs, I don't know how to get the ticket to get on the train to get back to the airport. This is how much of an idiot 19-year-olds are. Really thought that one through, right? So what did I do? I just went and fell asleep on a park bench for two hours. Woke up with the worst sunburn of my life. Finally got somebody to help me get back to the airport that had a suitcase that I could follow and just do whatever they were doing. But I survived. Here I am. But you know that feeling, right? Of being in a place that you don't belong or you don't understand. You don't know the customs or the language or the way people fit. And I just wonder how many people walk in the doors of our church with that same sense. Like, I don't, what do I do? Do I sit down? Do I stand now? Do I sing? But I'm not a good singer, but neither are they and they're singing. Or in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, what does it look like to live open-hearted? And again, that's a terrifying thought if we're alone. Wait, I'm supposed to open my home to a stranger? I'm supposed to open my heart to somebody that, that I don't get and, and doesn't know me? And we can only live into that reality when we're rooted in community. And we can only live rooted in community when we are first rooted in our true identity in Christ, who you are to him. And from that place of confidence and strength, belonging, being seen and known and loved by a good God who knit you together and calls you by name and leads you forward, bringing us together to now live in the freedom of being able to open our hearts and our lives to the people around us, both friend and family and stranger. What a beautiful picture. That it's not obviously something that it's like God is like, okay, so tomorrow I want you to start all of this. No, we just begin to take these steps of faith. We begin to hear from him. And that first thing that we need to hear, being rooted in Christ forgiven for our sins, being invited into this new way of life is our true identity, who he made you to be, because that is the gift that you were created to carry. There's a group of guys uh, a couple years ago that I was discipling or meeting with, and, and we walked through this exercise of of identity. What name does God call you? When he looks at you, who are you to him? 
Like what aspect of his heart and character are you meant to display to the world in a unique and powerful way? And so we all prayed into these things and God began to give some clarity together as uh, figuring out, okay, these are the gifts that God has given me. This is who God has made me to be. And then we did this really beautiful exercise where we, uh, we took these names and without telling each other necessarily what they were, a couple people knew each other's but didn't know everybody's. We wrote them down. It stuck together. I didn't plan that out. We wrote them down on a big sheet of paper. Malachi, good example. Someone was encourager of people. Another was a beloved son. Protector, restorer of honor. Leader of truth. A gatherer. A favored son of the king. And then we asked this question. Okay, if these people all of a sudden move to Monroe... And they walking fully, confidently in their unique God-given identity. What would you expect? Like, how would you position them in the community for the sake of God's kingdom? And so they say, gather. Obviously, every name is a reflection of God. And we see in Isaiah how God is actually the one who gathers his children from afar. And this person that carries this identity of gather is meant to reflect that attribute of God's heart to the world. And so what would that look like? We said, well, well of course we'd want that person to, to be bringing people in. We'd expect that person to show hospitality, to be welcoming, easy to, easily uh, relating to all kinds of different people. So we said they would expect that, like, that idea of a fisher of men, this gathering in into a safe place. We ask that about the, the favored son of the king. Well, if that obviously is the son of the king. I mean, they, they would have access to their dad. And so we'd want them to be bringing people, introducing people to their father. To be able to enter into a room with confidence because they have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. They belong to the king. And out of that humble confidence, able to love and engage others to bring people to their dad. And then after we went through each of these identities and naming, what would this person bring to the table? How would you position this person in the community? And everyone's listening and nodding. We then said, okay, then who is this? And so encourager. The one that everyone said we would, we would want to put that, put that person with the discouraged. We see them as a leader, a person that was, was coaching and, and caring for people. Exhorting people on, that phrase, you know, uh, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. And we said, so who is encourager? And Benji raised his hand. And we all said, amen, yes, that is totally you. And I said, gather. I want showing hospitality, bringing everybody in, creating safe space where people feel known and seen. All right, gather, who is it? And Daniel raised his hand, and we were like, yes, amen, that is totally you. By the way, if Daniel, if you don't know, is the, is the one with his wife that opened the Row restaurant, one of the most inviting, welcoming, cool spaces that you can go to in Monroe. Is he not living into his identity, right? A space that people can be gathered, seen, known, celebrated? 
And so many times, sometimes it's easier to see that in other people. This is why we need community than it is to see in yourself. But, but to walk through that same exercise, what is it that God put in you for the sake of the world? Because that is what the world needs. Actually, in Romans 8, after talking that as the sons of God are the ones led by the Spirit of God, that we don't no longer have that spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship by which we call Ab, Abba, Father known, this new identity as one that is seen, known, loved by God, called forth. And then Paul writes, all of creation is groaning in anticipation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. In other words, all of creation, the city of Monroe, your workplace, your home, your neighbor is groaning in anticipation for you to step fully in to the identity that God has placed on your heart when he knit you together. The calling that he gave you from the beginning of time that is only discovered not in your own journey of self-discovery on your own, but in community as we go after God together. That's the power of community. That's the family of faith. And that's what God has for you. And that is what we need from you. Are you with me? And so with that, I wanted to share a couple stories this morning. Actually, we'll, do, we'll share one story uh, this morning and then have another one. At 10.45, but I'm going to invite my friend Joseph to come on up. Let's give a warm welcome to Joseph. So Joseph and a group of, of, of men have been walking on a, a similar journey of discovery the last several weeks. And as I was thinking about uh, this story, it's, all, it's easy sometimes to get ideas and concepts, but it's always more powerful when it can be embodied in somebody's testimony and story. So I just asked Joseph, if he'd just share a little bit about what God has been speaking to him and revealing to him uh, over the last couple of weeks. So I can start with uh, that, our little retreat time and, and what God was, was doing in you there. Okay. Yeah, as Brian said, we're doing the this discipleship thing that has been really great for me and really great for the guys in it. Um, didn't realize how much I really needed it until we started. Um, that's really where I'm at right now. I'm really just enjoying that process of learning more than I've ever known in my life. And then a few weeks ago, we did the prayer retreat. It was a two-night retreat um, that Brian led us into the listening prayer, healing prayer, all the stuff that Jamie Winship talks about that you read about. And like, oh, that's really cool, but I don't know if it's real. And then you experience, and you're like, holy crap, it really is real. <laughs> and that was me. Um, that was me. I've, I've always been kind of on the back burner. I've always kind of just hung out in the back. Never really wanted to jump in the front of anything. Um, that's how my relationship with God's been. It's been ebbs and flows. And when it's low, it's low. I'm not going to lie to you all. And when it's high, it's high. And that's where I'm at right now, and it's awesome. And so in, in praying through that, Ryan, just leading us into, you know, what are you... What are the names you're hearing? What are the false names you're hearing from God? And I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm not going to hear anything. I already know. It's just that's who I am. I'm just not going to hear it. Um, but surprisingly, as always, I did. And that night, um, God revealed to me that, you know, when I was younger, I always felt myself as smaller, as weak, as weak physically, but also spiritually because I wasn't able to, like, fight off any of the stuff that, you know, Satan does to you. And that was pretty, that was pretty heavy for me to understand. Um, really hurt, hurt deep that I wasn't ready for. Um, luckily, the guys were there to help me work through that. And then in praying through that, you know, he tells you, like, well, this is who you are, and this is your name that I call you. God revealed to me that night, you know, 
that I'm his son, that I'm a leader for him. And I was like, that's awesome. What's my name? I didn't get it. I didn't get my name that night. And I was like, well, here we go. This is going to be what it is. Um, so that I went home that night, and I talked to Kyle about it, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't hear a name. I was, I was devastated, not going to lie. It hurt. Because I was expecting this big, earth-shattering name from the clouds and whatever, you know. I didn't get it, and other guys got theirs, and I was like, well, I want to be that guy. So the next morning, we jumped back into the prayer retreat, and some more stuff got stirred up. Some more stuff got revealed that we worked through. Still, no name. So I, I left there, you know, half-heartedly excited, half not. Um, that was about three weeks ago. Um, digging into more of that, the next Sunday, Brian led the whole service in just a centering prayer. And I'm sitting in the back just hanging out like, I've got enough stuff this week. I'm full. I don't need any more. <laughs> I can't handle any more. And God reveals like, hey, there's still more you've got to get through before we finish up who you are. Um, that was really hard to, to hear, the stuff I heard that day. If you want to know, we'll talk later. Um, it wasn't very fun. So I go home, and I'm just like, I'm telling Kyle, I'm devastated by it. It's just something that I had never really worked through when I was younger. Um, a few nights go by, we start Kids Life back, and we're up here hanging out with kids, and I've had, I asked Brian and a couple other guys in the group that are really close to me, like, hey, let's sit down and let's pray through this, uh, which is something I've never done in my life. I've never asked anybody to pray for me. That's just not who I am, or not who I was. It's who I am now. But um, that night sitting in Brian's office, God revealed to me that about 10, 10 or 11 years ago when we had our first child, it was not the way that I saw our life going, not the way that I saw my plan for myself or for Kyle. We were very young, and our plans changed immediately. And I was not okay with it. And I never admitted that to myself or never worked through it, ever. So God's like, hey, who, where are we? And where do you see yourself as? And we're in our little apartment in Athens and I have this little baby. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like, what did I just do? Like, what just happened? My life's supposed to go that way. And now it's going this way. And we're praying through that. And God's like, you're not an idiot. You're, you're not. You're just not where you wanted to be. But we're going this way now. Can you go with me? And praying through that, God's revealed to me that he's opening the door to our apartment. But we're not going into the apartment. We're going out into the world. And he's saying, let's go. And he shuts the door behind me. And in that moment when I accept it, we're going this path. And it's going to be great. And that's where we are now, and it's amazing. He called me by my name. So I hear my name, right? I'm all excited. And Brian's like, what name did you hear? And I'm expecting this Obadiah, Zebediah, whatever name from the Bible. And he calls me Joseph, which is my birth name, which is really cool because that's my name. I don't need another name. And I didn't accept that then when I was praying for it and praying for it and praying for it. But I already have my name. And it's one that I'm learning to live into. And what's the cool thing about it is Brian's saying about like community and stuff is a big piece that I've always lacked in my Christian walk. It's community. I didn't want it. Never wanted it. I was like, that's cool. You guys can go hang out. We'll be friends on the surface, but you're not going to dig into me. In the past year, as many of you know, we've had a pretty tough year. And I've never needed community more in my life than last year and this, right now. And that night praying in Brian's office, I hear my name. I'm hearing all this stuff. And I've got Jace Raby and Craig Zanelli right there saying, yeah, we're hearing it too. So I know it's real. It's not just me coming up with names, figuring stuff out, saying stuff. It's real. But it's not until I had community in my life that I knew that. 
And then praying through the rest of that night, God's like, look, you didn't ruin anybody's life. You didn't change anything. We just, we just switched gears a little bit. We jumped forward a little bit more than we were supposed to. And I was like, okay, well, I still want to know more. Um, my whole life, I've always wanted all the answers. I, I, it's what I do for a living. I build stuff off of plans. I got to know how it works. I got to know exactly how it works. And God's saying, look, you're not going to know how this is going to work. I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to roll with it. Which is hard for me, but fun at the same time. Because I'm like, God, what are we doing? Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. I need the answer. I need to know what to do next. He's like, well, you'll figure it out when we get there. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm still figuring it out. Um, it's not an easy process. It's a process you got to learn. You got to want to learn. You got to want to dig in. You got to really study it. And if you don't have people around you, it's going to be harder. And I've learned that in the past few months. So that's awesome. That's good. And so when, when Joseph was like, it was like, so who does God see you as? Like, who are you to him? And he's like, Joseph. And it was deeply meaningful in the moment. You know, you could tell it resonated. But all of us are like, yes. Because Joseph in the Bible is a shepherd leader who gathers resources to bless others. And they're like, what do we see in this man? A shepherd leader who gathers things and people and resources around him in order to be a blessing to others. And, and learning to walk into that and say, okay, one step at a time together that we're going to discover, what does this mean? What does this look like? But we need Joseph to walk through this process of healing and, and discovery and continuing to call to, to bring things for us and for us to receive from him. Uh, and this community needs this man to step in fully into that identity. So praise God for the, his work in your life and excited to see where it goes from here, man. I will, I will say, if you're not, if you're getting pieces of it and little parts of it, not the full thing, don't get discouraged. Because if I had been discouraged, I wouldn't be standing in front of you right now. So you have to be ready to learn. You got to be digging into it because it's not going to be, some people it's like, Boom, you got it, you're ready, you're gone, you're set. But then there's people like me that are like, hey, I'm not there yet. I'm not fully healed yet. Something else is wrong that I don't know about. And I'm still learning stuff today. He's given to me in bits and pieces because as we prayed that night, God's like, look, you got to be ready to learn. You don't know all the answers. And that's how my walk's been going the past few months. It's like a little piece here and then the next piece there, but they all line up. And then as I ask people like, hey, you know, how do you see me? It's funny because the same stuff they're saying is the same stuff that I'm learning. So I know it's true and it's working out, but you gotta, you really gotta have good people around you. So if you don't, find them. <laughs> so that's awesome. That's what the church is for, is this community. Yeah. So thank you, Joseph. I'm, I'm gonna pray for us. Yeah, yeah, let's stand here. I want to pray for Joseph, but I also want to pray for us. And then we're gonna continue on in worship together and just create space for, for you to. To hear from God. What does he have for you? What does he want you to know? Um, and so, Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for my friend. I thank you for my brother. And I thank you for the things, that, the work you're doing in his life. God, I thank you that you are uh, helping him see his story, his past from your perspective. And Lord, we recognize we can't change our past. What has happened has happened. But, Lord, what you can change is how we understand it and what it means about you and what it means about us. And so, Lord, I just, I'm so encouraged by seeing that work, that deep work you're doing in Joseph and in his family, freeing him to live fully into who you made him to be. And we affirm that in him, this shepherd leader who has a heart for people, 
that you've given the ability to administrate and to and to, to gather resources and to be able to put things together in a way that blesses so many others. And that is out of those hidden and even the dark places. You called Joseph forth. Think about the Joseph of the Bible, but also this Joseph standing next to me. That it was in those hidden places that you were actually doing a deep work. And so, Lord, uh, we just affirm that in him. And I pray that as in the same way as we stand in that same, the one spirit that unites us all under one Lord, Jesus. For each person in this room, every one of your sons and daughters, that we would hear you call us by name. God, if there's places in our heart that we're still living in shame or guilt, that you would bring your forgiveness and your grace. Lord, that we would receive the forgiveness of Christ. And Lord, if there's places we're living in fear or hiding, God, you speak into that place and set us free. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here, what do you want us to know? What are you speaking even right now, God? So, Lord, will you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond? And we pray all of these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.